When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. Another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. And I'm Ethan. Uh, welcome to the show. Make sure you are subscribed because we have episodes coming out every Monday. Uh, if you've been around for a while and you have an artist on your mind that you'd like us to talk about, let us know by messaging us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, if you love the show, click the Patreon link below and become a patron. You get episodes early and special access to our favorite segment the bad music podcast which is for patrons only where we talk about the six worst songs from the artist that week speaking of lucas what's the artist of the week so this is going to be our uh our fan picked uh episode now we've gotten this artist probably uh this artist and Jimi hendrix are the ones that we've gotten the most requests for Mm-hmm. And Jimi Hendrix was the first one that we were just like, oh, we're going to do this because a fan or fan, yeah. plural, keep recommending it. This was another one. In fact, uh, one reviewer <laughs> who just goes by the name of CT 75 gave us a one-star review, and the only thing it said is, do Kiss next. It will get more listeners than any other band. So we're trusting him. I guess I- so. I expect strongly about it. Listens. Yeah, he ha- he felt so strongly about it that he was going to give us a one star review. Maybe Mattler, if you are listening, you will uh, switch it to a five star. <laughs> we're doing Kiss, so we're we're talking about Kiss this episode. Also, well, if you would like to get you uh, a band featured, uh, a five star review would be a lot more appreciated than a one star. <laughs> get up a little faster. <laughs> Don't just give us a bunch of one-star reviews to get your band submissions. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it's, I it's just hilarious to me. We we love listening to the or reading the the weird reviews. Yeah, but yeah. So I mean, Kiss is Kiss is one of the biggest bands of all time. This is this is a band that it was inevitable we would do at some point, and I always. Even if we hadn't gotten it suggested, I would have wanted to do Kiss just because they're they're that level of a band. Um, they're one of the big rock groups of the '70s, and uh, they're just they're a band that the more you learn about them, the more you realize that they might be one of the most important bands of all time. And I praise, yeah, yeah. That's that's not a phrase to be thrown around lightly. What do you mean by that? So, um, I've watched 
a lot of musician interviews. And one of the most common questions that people ask musicians is, what was the first band you ever loved? What was the first song you ever learned to play? And I have found that I always get one of two answers, depending on how old they are. If they are a musician from the 70s and earlier, they always talk about the Beatles being their first that first spark. Everyone from the 80s onward, every single time says Kiss. Wow. That Kiss was their first ever favorite band. That they they always say, oh, I, I learned uh, – I learned Christine 16 on guitar. And that was the first song I ever learned. And like that is, I found that kiss is responsible for the majority of modern. When I say modern, I mean like nineties onward rock and metal groups, even existing. They're everyone's gateway without kiss. There would be no Pantera without kiss. There would be no Van Halen without kiss. There would be no hair metal for sure. Oh yeah, that's that's a rather obvious one. Um, it's just it's it's insane, kind of when you look at it. Just like this was a band that, like, so much of rock and metal music, like, completely stands upon Kiss's shoulders. Wow, I mean, just like like I I watch these interviews and they get to the question. I'm just like, he's gonna say Kiss. And he was just like, oh, the first band I ever got into was Kiss. And I was like, I, told, I knew it. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, that in of itself, I think, really makes them one of the most important bands of all time. Because I would say that their fewer bands have influenced a generation more than Kiss has. There's just something about their image. There's The image draws you in. And the music is kind of like what keeps you there. Mm-hmm. Especially like you can tell for like younger audiences that it's just like there's this there's this um, larger than life aspect. This, they're almost like superheroes. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the superheroes of the rock world because, you know, the makeup and the costumes and and just the way that they portray themselves they don't just look like a bunch of dudes up on a stage. Like it's like you look at them and they're like almost inhuman. They've, mm-hmm. they've, they're, they're, they're like, they're like real life rock gods in the flesh. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine as like a, a nine, 10 year old kid seeing that and just going, Oh my God, what is this? I have to know about this. <laughs> and then also the fact that their music is so simple yeah, it's like it's so easy for then that audience to be listened to it to go. Well, I bet I could figure out how to play that. They're not, you know, they're not a, they're not Queen where you've got all of this very complicated theory and playing going on underneath, or Rush, or where it's just like you can't just pick up a guitar and play those songs. You can pick up a guitar and play most Kiss songs. Um, that's, a, that's a really good point because that's kind of the whole backbone of the guitar hero era. Uh-huh. It's like, oh, I'm going to sit down and learn this guitar solo or this guitar riff. It's like, I, I keep mentioning that Aussie quote all the time. I won't even mention it this time because I've mentioned it in literally every other episode. So I'll just say, insert Aussie quote here. <laughs> right. So, and, yeah. And, yeah. 
And then, so that's so that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is no band has done a better job of marketing itself and creating the business of music better than Kiss has. Not just the business of rock and roll, the business of music. Like, mm. the whole idea of going to a concert and buying merch, like, Kiss came up with that. Really? Yeah. That was not a thing before them. Wow. The whole, I mean... Now, before then, you know, you did have, like, you know, the Beatles and Elvis. They, you know, they sold lunchboxes and, and like, memorabilia with them on it. But Kiss... But like, like, licensed licensing deals. Not yeah, much. the Beatles did not come up with it. Kiss came up with their merchandise. They pitched themselves to people and just like, you should make a Kiss this and a Kiss that. Like, these guys completely revolutionized the way that a band presents itself so lucas on branding and everything aside uh first thoughts one to ten where are you at with kiss personally so i think that i would have started this episode at around like a seven because the kiss songs that i i knew about i really liked but i i really hadn't listened to that much kiss and there was some other songs that I had casually heard. I was just like, eh, it's okay. But, you know, I was never at a point to where I like, I'm like, man, I got to go listen to a Kiss album. I would, you know, if I saw their vinyls in stores, I'd be like, eh, I don't need that yet. But, you know, obviously like, like Detroit Rock City is like a banger for me. And, um, and, you know, rock and roll all night and, and some of those other songs, I'm just like, if they come on, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I, I love this, and I'll rock out to it. But I was someone that, you know, never really sought Kiss out. You know, if they were if they were coming to town for a concert, I wouldn't feel compelled to go see them. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, cool, Kiss. Yeah, okay. So why, why a seven and not a six then? Because of the fact that the, there were certain songs of theirs that I really liked. Yeah, that's fair. It's it, it wasn't like one of those things where I was just like, oh, I've heard a couple of their songs and not had a whole lot of opinion about it. Yeah. Like, there are songs like, that you really, really like. Yeah, that I would put, you know, in a high tier of my favorite classic rock songs. All right. Yeah. So, so it, because of that, that's I, I feel like a seven is a good place to put it. I'm always I'm always modifying the list. We're we're always honing in on the one to ten, <laughs> uh-huh. kind of figuring what out what it means. means. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Ethan, how about you? Uh, I think I showed my cards. Was it in the after hours? Mm-hmm. I think so. Uh, I would say I'm probably what What's the opposite? The opposite of a seven on this would be a three, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say. I it, in the same way that there's songs where Lucas is like, yeah, I generally like them, but there's a couple of songs that come on that I love. I would say I'm the exact opposite, and it's like I generally don't like Kiss, but then there's a couple of songs where they come on, I'm just like, I hate this freaking song. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious to know what those are and if they are on our list. They are not on the list. Oh, then we'll. Uh... Maybe an after. Yes, one of them is on the list. One of of them is on the list. But it's like the big big ones, you know? 
it's, it's it's partly because they're overplayed and i think also partly and we've talked about this before i think grant talked about his dad one time like my dad loves kiss loves 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 kiss and so I feel like everyone's dad loves kiss yeah everyone's dad <laughs> that's funny but i mean i'm excited to i, I again we, we all come into this open-minded but the kiss is one of the bands where it's like they yeah i just i'm not really big into like the whole rock and roll thing anyways and the glam thing or whatever like all the makeup and stuff i was just like eh just like not into it but i think we did talk last week uh <laughs> grant kind of um i mean kind of showed me up because who was the band that we were talking about you said wasn't well, that the same as kiss and i was like touche <laughs> <laughs> uh journey no it was dang it who were we literally talking about this last um daft My punk romance oh yeah yeah daft yeah punk. you were literally like well daft punk dresses up like robots like isn't that the same thing as kiss dressing up and every right. fiber of my being was like no but i knew it was like yeah i guess it is the same Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like my mind is ripe to be changed, and that it's it's a, an unthought three. It's a very visceral gut reaction three of like I just was maybe overexposed to it and going through my jazz period, and I was just like, this is horrible, you know. I feel I feel like for someone that's a big jazz guy, like Kiss is like the one of the easiest bands to like go after. Yeah, it's it's I. I Literally, and I know Lucas, you're probably going to think this is blasphemy. Like, I was generally, like, I know Nickelback is more of a meme, but it's just as easy for me to attack Kiss as it is for me to attack Nickelback. Wow. I understand that, because as as big and as important as Kiss is, they have become one of the big punching bags. And, and they have a target on their back because of, of their popularity, and they did do a bunch of lunchboxes and a bunch of kind of cheesy merch. So they're, they're uh-huh. an easy, they're an easy target, and probably mm-hmm. unjustifiably so. But that's coming into this. Whenever I said it last week, I'm glad I'm at the point though where I have never on this podcast, maybe other than Mashuga, which got my my got changed drastically on them. Even coming into Kiss, I'm not like, oh man, we have to talk about Kiss. I'm genuinely coming in as a, I don't really like Kiss, but I already know that my opinion is going to be changed. I hope that I can get to neutral with them, and I hope that Rock and Roll All Night will be redeemed, because that's the I song. Think, I figured that that was the song. That, that that's the song where I'm just like, stop repeating the same thing over and over. It's like a worship song. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right, well, now let's swing over to Grant. Okay, so... I feel like Ethan's first thought was a lot like how I feel about Journey, but nothing the way that I feel about Kiss, right? I, they are definitely one of the first bands that I knew existed, but they're, I would still even make the argument that I've never gotten into them. Like, I've never taken a serious look at their music. I never took them seriously, right? They were all, they would always be the headlining act of whatever you know, festival was playing on uh, Palladium or VH1 or whatever it is now. Um, And I would kind of skip through them to get to, you know, GNR or somebody that I wanted to see and be like, oh yeah, and Kiss exists by the way. And oh yeah, a lot of people like them, but I don't really 
care for their music that much because it just it it didn't seem super angsty or super heavy or whatever I was in at the time. Kiss just didn't have that X factor, you know, to him. And so there was never like a big draw for me to get into Kiss. And so it's like I've played a lot of their songs. I've played a lot of their songs in front of other people. Um, I know how to play a lot of their songs. But I think that, right, I mentioned that my dad was a huge Kiss fan. And he is into a lot of the simpler Kiss songs. And so um, when I discovered that a song like Detroit Rock City, for example, existed, I'm like, this doesn't sound like Kiss at all. This sounds like, this sounds too intense for Kiss because I would listen to songs like Lick It Up and Heaven's on Fire and they would be so, I don't want to use the word boring in the episode about the band that we're talking about, but they were kind of boring, right? But then, you know, one of my uh, one of my friends, his older brother, got into a serious, like, big-time band called Kana. Well, I mean, they're not, like, a headlining act, but but they're, they're a real band. Um, and uh, he was singing the praises of Detroit Rock City. He's like, you got to listen to it, you got to listen to it. So then I did, and that's that's what kind of made me realize, okay, wait, maybe there's another side of Kiss, you know. But I never pursued that avenue ever because I always thought that that was going to be the exception and not the rule. And I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I just, I never pursued that that whole uh, that whole line of um, uh, exploration. So I have to put myself at a six could be seven because it's just, there's so much that I just don't know, but at the same time, I'm not, I'm not excited about them, but I like, I like some of their songs, right? I'm not, I don't not like Kiss, but there's just nothing that gets me super excited. Okay. So we don't, that means we don't have any super fans in here that are like salivating to talk about Kiss, which I think it will make things very interesting. I think it will. We, we too. can we can kind of come in without any bias. Well, yeah, yeah, and that that also doesn't mean that there aren't little tidbits that I think we all know. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk about who Kiss is. So there's two members of Kiss that are constant that have never changed. And Kiss is always a, a a quartet, by the way. So there's always four guys, and uh, two of the guys. I mean, they were the two founding members of the band, and um, have and they're the ones that are still in it today. And that is lead slinger, slinger, lead singer <laughs> slash rhythm guitarist Paul Stanley, who right. his onstage persona is the, is the star child. He's the one with the black star over his eye. And Gene Simmons, which everyone knows who Gene Simmons is. Oh, yeah. Uh, Gene Simmons, the other lead singer and bassist, and his onstage persona is the demon. For those of you that maybe don't know who Gene Simmons is, you probably know the guy in Kiss that always sticks his tongue out. Yep. The greatest tongue in rock and roll, and 
that's a that's a that's actually quite a lofty achievement because tongues are a rock and roll thing. Yeah, yeah. I, in in a way, I see Gene Simmons as being the Patrick Stewart of Kiss. It's like household name, kind of his fame has extended further than the band, but it's not for any like. I guess tangible reason. It's just because of the, the way his personality is. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, also just his his on stage persona is. I think it's he's the most iconic Kiss member as far as his when his makeup and his outfit. Like when people yeah. think of Kiss, they think of the Gene Simmons character with the yeah. tongue out, yeah. with the big shoulder pads, the big battle axe base, uh, spitting blood and blowing fire. Like that's yep. that's what people think of when they think Kiss. That's like the, the first image that comes to mind. And then, of course, he's just he's gone on to become an icon in of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we got two other members. Yes, we do, and these are the yeah, members right. that, as history has gone on, those are, are are the ones that are constantly revolving. But there is what we call a classic lineup. The lineup that lasted from. 73 to 80 and then briefly reunited again in the 90s and broke up again in the early 2000s and that is uh uh peter chris on drums i almost said eric carr who was their second drummer and i stopped i was just like nope that's not the right one <laughs> peter peter chris on drums and he is the cat man uh he's got the he's got the the cat makeup on and uh, he also – this is a band like the Beatles where all four members do vocals. Now, right. now the other two are – you wouldn't call them a lead vocalist because usually they would only get one or two songs on an album while uh, Paul and Gene are pretty split down the middle and sing. I would say they sing like 90% of the songs, them two, and then the other 10% will go to the other two. Uh, so you've got Peter Chris on drums, and then you have Ace Freely on lead guitar, and his persona is the Spaceman or the Space Ace. Space Ace. Mm-hmm. Ace. And he, he of course, anyone who has looked into guitar pickup loadouts, you got the Ace Freely Triple H three humbuckers. That's an Ace Freely signature um, signature pickup setup. So yeah, that's where that comes from. Ace is probably the most naturally skilled musician out of the group. He's the one that kind of like the, you know, like the riffs are always usually very simple, but Ace's solos are usually held in pretty high regard. He's 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 known as one of the better lead players in rock and roll. And he's yes. kind of like when you get more advanced in the guitar, you switch from playing the the songs the way Paul Stanley would by just riffing through it and you switch to playing the way Ace would. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of like he's kind of like the 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 heralded musician of the band where everyone else is is not as much admired for their instrumental skill. And I mean it's just again their songs don't call for it. Really the only person in a KISS song that's gonna get a ton of uh chance to shine is going to be the lead guitarist because of whatever solo comes yeah yeah 
So he's 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 the one that's kind of just held in the highest regard musician wise. Um so Kiss started off in the early 70s. Um, it, it started whenever Gene and Paul came together and they were like, hey, we should make a band together. So mm-hmm. uh, I always like to make the distinction of really what a founding member is. A founding member needs to be someone where an agreement is made between two or more people to say we're, the band starts now rather than like, say, with Metallica. It's It's not as accurate to say James Hetfield is a founding member because he did join Lars's band. It just wasn't called Metallica yet. Yeah. Where Kiss didn't exist until uh, Gene and Paul because originally they were in another band together and then they dissolved that band and said let's make a new band. They were in a band called Wicked Lester and they realized that that band was not going anywhere so they destroyed that band they're like we're going to start over and that's when Kiss was created. Wow. Uh, the the name Kiss pretty much it's there's not anything super deep about it. Um, Paul was the one that came up with it. He wanted to have just something that was very simple and very bold, kind of in the same way that Queen came up with their name. It's one word, universal. Like it's not you know everyone sees that word and knows exactly what it means, and you know it's. Um, he said that he liked the uh, the double that it could be the kiss of love or the kiss of death. Ooh, good point. And so it's just no, he was just like it's just a rock and roll sounding name. He was right. He's yeah. I would say yeah. fewer fewer names have struck such a powerful image than Kiss has. And of course, you have the. Um... The naysayers who will say it stands for uh, Knights in Satan's Service. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of people that believe that one. Yes. I I was one of those people for a short while. The crazy thing. And then I'm like, there's no way. The crazy thing is that the only thing that could ever be true to satanic is that Gene Simmons looks kind of scary. And has and his stage name is The Demon. But there's nothing. Right. <laughs> like, they don't talk about right. Any kind of the, demonic stuff in their lyrics. Their music is all party music. Yeah, it's right? all about it's chicks. All, it's all, yeah, exactly. So, but what if you play it backwards? Oh my gosh, Ethan! <laughs> <laughs> so it's not Led Zeppelin. We don't have to play it backwards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, they are the two founding members. They're the two members that are still there today. Uh, they're actually in the middle of their farewell tour right now. Oh wow! It uh, it actually would have been done by now had COVID not happened. But they're actually going to be here in Tulsa in November. Hey, and I'm actually really considering going. Hey, my uh, depending on how the episode goes. My yeah. my dad is not a Kiss fan, but my mom is a huge Kiss fan. So I was so I was the opposite of you guys. Instead of having a a big dad kiss fan i've got a big mom kiss that's funny uh she's she even has a kiss sweatshirt and it's hilarious <laughs> um and so, so so they all started the band together yeah peter chris and really came in pretty soon after the band was formed like there weren't really any other um pre first album members yeah it pretty much like it pretty much was them for right at the beginning. 
it was just that Paul and Jean started to first, and then they found Peter and Ace. And so um, the whole reason for the costumes and for the makeup was it was the early 70s, so glam was the thing. And they uh, this is a New York band, by the way. Um, and the New York glam scene was very huge at that time. Um, kind of the big band of that period was the New York Dolls, who we talked about is uh, up for Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. And uh, the big thing about glam, though, was was dressing androgynous. And Kiss tried that. And they're, they said they looked terrible because they're not like they're not super skinny already kind of effeminate looking dudes. Mm-hmm. They were just like, you know, it looked like a, we were, were football players wearing drag. And they're just like, we can't we can't go the same route as that. And so mm-hmm. that's when they kind of got the idea of, well, what if we did kind of this more theatrical, um, just over the top presentation? And so really the whole thing was based on the fact that they had no manager they had no promoter. They did everything themselves. And so they they okay. kind of were relying on we need something to draw people in because, you know, we we don't have anyone that's helping us. So we gotta give ourselves every advantage that we can. We we need to we need to get people talking about us. And what better way to get people talking about us than to look in you know, like these crazy people with makeup Mm -hmm. and costumes and you know and then when they get there they'll be wowed by our music and then you know we're on our way so I would say also that there is maybe not a harder working man especially not during the 70s that's something that will always be part of Kiss's um, resume is that they busted their butts they they scheduled all their own gigs they rehearsed 10 hours a day every day they wow. um they they booked themselves they got their demos passed around themselves they like pretty much until that first record label or that record deal was signed like they did everything without anyone's help because just no one would take them. And so it was just like, and they were just like, fine, we'll do it ourselves. And that's well, good for that's them. actually where the whole thing of the t-shirts and all that came from was that it was part of getting their band out there. They would they would call people, and they would pretend to be Kiss's manager, and they would be like, well, hey, we want to schedule Kiss for this venue. Who's Kiss? Oh, you haven't heard them? They're the biggest band out there right now. You've got to put them on. And they would, oh. and they would like plant people to go walk around with their t-shirts on to make it look like they were a bigger deal than they were. Because again, like bands didn't make their own shirts; you only had shirts yeah. of a band if it was licensed. And so they just made their own shirts, and it tricked people into thinking that they were already this big band. They, oh yeah, they said they had people coming to their shows thinking that they already knew the band, and then they were like coming in and hearing from them for the first time just because they were like. You would ask them, just like, do you know Kiss? Oh, yeah, I know Kiss. Just because they had seen the name around. 
Mm-hmm. It's genius. That's smart. Mm-hmm. There, there was a thing I heard um, just earlier today that, um, you know, they're out of New York. And before they even did shows out of New York, every time they do a show, they would say, well, it's great to be back in New York. Uh-huh. Just to make everybody think they were touring. Yep. Which is so smart if you think about oh, it. Oh, yeah. Like, I think there's some Tulsa cover bands that have taken notes from that. Uh-huh. <laughs> that it's like, there's no way you've been out of Tulsa. But like, okay, you know, good joke. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just these guys were really smart about themselves. And and then finally they were able to get that first record. Um, Their first three albums actually sold pretty poorly, though. Oh. And that in of itself, it wasn't that they sold super, like, that they were just like, oh, man, these albums were disasters. But rather... They put so much money into their stage show that they weren't selling near enough albums to be able to compensate for were it. the were they good records yeah um the first record might be a contender for the best album they've ever made it's just oh, wow. the sheer number of classic kiss songs that are on that record it's hard to deny it the second and third record aren't as good. But that first record, man, you listen to it, and it's there's only one or two songs that you're just like, and eh, we could have done without that. And like you go to a Kiss show, pretty much every song except those two songs will be played. Like oh. it's just it's it's almost like a greatest hits album right off the gate. That always helps. Uh huh. Always helps. Very Van Halen of them to do something like that. The the biggest I would say the biggest problem with their first three albums is that they they weren't able to get it to sound right because they kept give getting producers that tried to make them sound like you know every other rock group and having a big live sounding band was not the thing in the early 70s this was still really the live album didn't really become a major force until the mid 70s because of kiss kiss was yeah there was a couple live albums before that that really got them to it but i would say kiss was the was the first live album that just kind of like blew the doors open for live records where after that i guess everyone had to make a live record i guess that leads us to where we are now yes so kiss alive is their is technically their fourth record and they this was an against the rope situation where they were about to be they were not just about to be dropped by their label that's bad enough their label was about to go bankrupt oh this they were not on one of the big labels that like you know where all the big artists were that they can afford to have some some failed attempts mm-hmm. like when the Casablanca Records which is the record company that they went with Kiss was the biggest band on that uh, on that label, and the band was not selling very well. So like, that should show. Yeah, so they were on the verge of just complete collapse, and so the thing they thought of was just like they were like, people aren't buying our albums, but we're selling out every show that we play, and people are just like amazed by our live shows. What if we made a live record? 
and we finally capture on record what we sound like because they just they could never and the first three records all sound wildly different in an attempt to try and figure out how to get that live sound and they just couldn't get it or the producers just were simply unwilling to because it was not the way that record sounded at that time and so um, they the good thing about being the biggest uh, band on your record and it not being that you're going to be dropping rather that the whole label is about to go down they were able to kind of make some demands they said listen we're going to put out this live record but we are going to choose who mixes it and who engineers it and it's going to sound the way we want it and they were like fine we're, we're not having success picking people out for you so if this works then great if not then it's been nice knowing you and so um and so they picked a couple nights on their um their tour for their third record to record the the album and they had a a guy named Eddie Kramer come in and uh engineer it Eddie Kramer is kind of like one of those legendary studio guys especially in the 70s he worked on everything and so he was a guy that knew what he was doing. Um, he uh, made it, and this was the this I didn't realize, but this was the first live album to make the audience such a prominent role, because normally in live albums up to that point, it didn't sound like a live album until before and after the song, where you would just hear the applause. And then once the band started, they would mix the audience low so that you could hear everything really well. And Kiss didn't, ah. Kiss didn't want to do that. They said that they wanted to create an experience where you f- felt like you were in the audience. They wanted it to sound like you're in the crowd. And so they they actually got lots of different... Um, takes of audience members you know cheering and saying stuff and they what he would do is he would uh fade it in at different points to kind of create this unique blend of uh of audience sound and so you can hear the audience screaming during the songs as well as before and after and that had not that hadn't really ever been done on a live record before they 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 didn't really count on live records being live they wanted them when the band was playing to sound like a studio record and then the just again like i said the only way you knew it was live was that you would hear applause before and after i have heard the assertion that the that the kiss alive record um that they added the audience noise and i guess that's technically accurate but very misleading Yes, I mean, uh, yeah, that's that's a very clickbait. Uh, yeah, oversimplification thing of it. To say. Yeah, like the uh, that audience reaction was from the shows. It just m- may not be exactly from the moment that's being played. Like they they took a lot of different moments from the audience and they kind of like put it together to create this very specific experience. Uh, also, the thing that the the lot of things that you'll see is that Alive wasn't really live, and 
Paul Paul Stanley was just like, yeah, where there were some parts we came, went back and and overdubbed a little because we wanted it to sound as good, but he's just like, most of it is absolutely live. You know, you just you, he's like, whenever you're in a in a audience at a show, when a when a guitarist hits a wrong note or a singer doesn't quite hit uh the right note or word you don't really notice because you're in the experience Mm -hmm. he said when you're listening to it on a record you notice it a lot more so you tend to want to go ahead and fix it whenever you're gonna uh, go back and whenever you're gonna release it to the public but you know the whole assertion i was just like it was actually recorded in a studio and they just faked it being live is not true Okay, which is the assumption that I feel like a lot of people get whenever they see headlines like that, like and like what you were saying, where it's like, oh, they just they just recorded it and then put in, you know, they spliced in a, a live audience to make you think that it was a concert. No, it was, it, yeah, it, yeah, it was the real deal. I was I was thinking that for sure that wasn't the case, even though I had heard that. I was thinking for sure it wasn't the case, particularly because of our fourth song. Just the way that there is audience interaction. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you can't fake yeah. something like that uh-huh. the way that they did. So, so they so yeah, record the which, live album. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the album that explodes. It, yeah. it becomes their first platinum album. And this is this is the first example. And we we talked about this also with Cheap Trick. Um, this is the first time that a band breaks big with a live record. It was an insane thing to happen at that time. But they just knew that that was their biggest strength was their reputation as a live act. And so they knew that if they could get that out, that it would be enough to kind of finally get them to that level. And they were right. It happened. And as soon as that happened, you could really call Alive as the first album of their classic period, which is a series of four records. Alive, and then the three studio albums that come after that, which is Destroyer, um, Rock and Roll Over and Love Gun. That's kind of like the golden era of Kiss. And all three of those studio records are fantastic. Did they stay with their label? Yep. They they single-handedly brought their label out of financial despair and uh, were able to kind of really be the kings at that label. Nice. Nice. That would make sense as to why I recognized the name Casablanca Records. Mm-hmm. So good for them! Wow. So yeah, that's the that's the story of Alive. So now let's talk a little bit about Kiss as a live group. What made them so good? Yeah, let's do that then. <laughs> so first off, we also need to just talk about Kiss's music in general. Kiss okay. is pure rock and roll. You can't I it's really frustrating when people talk about Kiss as a heavy metal band because they're not. I think people assume no. they are because of just the way they look. 
I think a lot of people expect their music to be a lot harder and heavier than it actually is. Yeah. I remember being surprised the first time I heard Kiss songs because I I had seen what they looked like and I was thinking, oh, this is going to be like dark, scary songs. And it's like, it's just, it's pure rock and roll. Is there a good comparable sound to them? Um, man, uh, like whenever you say pure rock and roll, no. <laughs> I, I mean, that's, I would think of like, it's, it's like rolling the Rolling Stones or, um, in a weird way, it's kind of like Elton John with no piano. Yeah. Just not as pop. Not as pop, but still kind of like we're grooving, you know? Uh huh. Um, I feel like the Rolling Stones is probably the easiest band to compare to where it's it's not um as as far as and when I mean Rolling Stones I mean almost like classic era Rolling Stones not his satanic majesty's Rolling Stones where they're getting really weird experimental but to where like the songs are very direct there's not you know you're not going to have these long winding instrumental passages um you know the lyrics are not going to be super deep and philosophical like you know, it's it's gonna be just like about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yep, yep. And I mean, it just. Do you think? Kiss, I, I do you think that Kiss is like I would the embodiment of rock and roll. Yeah, like, I just like I just thought I feel form. like the the best band to compare them to is ACDC. Ooh, yeah. Where it's just it has it doesn't have any other influences getting in the way of it it's just a simple riff a great song no one's overplaying it and like you know exactly what you're going to get now this pertains to the uh to the classic kiss era where kiss starts to go astray is when they deviate from this principle but in the sense of where we are at this point with a live like this is it's just pure rock and roll what do you mean deviate so when they get to the when they get to the late 70s into the early 80s they they start to inject popular musical trends into and it and it makes the quality of their music go down gotcha gotcha they didn't they didn't stick to their you know pure rock and roll which acdc never did they always stuck to their guns and that's why they were able to stay so good and so relevant for so long. Did ACDC pass Kiss? Oh, yeah. I mean, Kiss does not have as big of a selling record as Back in Black, for sure. But Kiss paved the way. Uh, Kiss paved the way, yeah. Because um, Kiss does precede ACDC by a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could say that they definitely... They showed the way for a lot of rock groups on what where to go. So, um, so because of that, the 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 simpleness and the the pure rock and roll spirit, they add in this 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 primal fury to the way that they play. There's this there's this hugeness to the sound. You can hear that on a live. Like you're listening to it, and it's like it's very epic, and it's just four guys just wailing away. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they definitely go over. I mean, obviously, when you're on stage, then the costumes and the makeup really kind of are used to their best uh, potential. Because when you're in a, in a crowd up to the stage and you see all that, like it just, you know, it creates for this otherworldly experience. Even in the very beginning club days, when they were playing 10 people, they had all of the stuff that we would associate with a big kiss show. Um, they had the big drum right that like towered above the rest of the band. The, um, Gene Simmons was spitting blood and shooting fire. Um, and, you know, just every, everything that is part of the kiss magic was there even when they were, you know, nobodies. Like, it came pretty fully formed. So, um, yeah, the, uh, the, the stage show and the visuals also just contribute a massive amount to mm-hmm. his experience. Like, actually, I couldn't, there's no video footage of Alive, so I couldn't watch that for my research, but I did watch one of their uh, late 90s reunion tour shows. And it is amazing just to see all, you know, there's tons of fire, tons of fireworks. Um, mm-hmm. I noticed that. You know, Gene Simmons has this this moment where these wires, like, lift him, like, maybe four mm-hmm. stories up in the air to a tiny stage at the very top <laughs> where he does one of his songs. Because mm-hmm. part of his stay, his outfit also is that he has what looks like bat wings. And so, like, it looks like mm-hmm. he's, you know, it's this demon taking flight. It's pretty, and it's, it's right after he does his spitting blood trick. I completely forgot about that because they do that kind of thing in every single festival that I would watch mm-hmm. every single one of those outdoor festivals that have like 200,000 people, you know, he'd get zip lines to a, to a stage that was on a tower, just, you know, a couple hundred feet away from the stage. And it's crazy. And they'd always end every show with the same song, which is on our list. Um, it, it doesn't actually end the list, but and there'd be so much confetti, uh-huh. and there'd be so much pyrotechnics, <laughs> and there'd be screaming. fireworks going off the background. They they would uh, they would end the festival like they would be the last band, and that would be the last song. So they would go completely overkill, right? I don't know how it just happened to be that every time there was a festival that they televised, Kiss always ended it with that song that same way and yet everybody still loved it oh yeah there's just so many kiss tropes Mm -hmm. but they look like they're enjoying themselves at least jim gene simmons looks like he's enjoying oh he's always enjoying himself paul stanley yeah too oh oh for sure but he's gotta he's gotta belt out the words a little bit more oh yeah paul stanley he's got a tough job yeah he's got harder songs to sing yeah um, but man, he he is a great live performer. He he has a very interesting persona about him. He said that he um, he has this mix of um, 
Southern gospel preacher meets Elvis meets used car sales car salesman. <laughs> and you hear that in the in the parts where he's talking to the audience that there's this there's almost this religious fanaticism to the way that he speaks. Mm-hmm. Like he's like he's delivering a sermon. How many of you believe in rock and roll? Uh-huh. Stand up for what you believe in. That's know? right. Um, he said that he got that from a band called Uriah Keep. Uh, he said that their singer uh, talked to the audience like that. And he was just like, I want to do that. But, I mean, he definitely surpassed Uriah Heep uh, in kind of creating that pers- that type of stage persona. He He's someone that is just all energy from the moment you say go. I, I didn't know that was a new phenomenon, talking to the audience. Um, I mean, talking to the audience in that way, where it's... it's very, like getting them riled up and everything. Yeah, to where, you know, a lot of times, you know, you either had uh, the very, you know, polite, the Beatles, well, we're going to do another song now, and uh, this one is called uh, uh, Yesterday. <laughs> we hope you enjoy it. <laughs> Oh my god. Or you have or you have, you know, someone like Jimi Hendrix that's kind of like just being very casual with you, like talking to you like he's going to talk to one of your like you're one of his friends. Uh, but you didn't really you didn't really have someone that's this that's this big over the top personality when they're in between songs. It was normal to talk like that while you're or sing like that you know, during the song, but to just be like, so, you know, in character, even in between the songs, when you're introducing the songs, when you're talking to the audience, um, because like you would, you hear Paul Stanley talk normally. He doesn't sound anything like that. It's a voice that he puts on. True. And so it's not just him, his natural voice just coming through, which is really what most musicians do. You know, most musicians, like, will even if they are exaggerating it, they're going to talk to you the way that they normally would talk. You know, James Hetfield's going to growl at you because that's how he talks. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. He, Paul Stanley, really becomes this this character. And it's it's very effective, and we'll we'll get to really kind of get deeper into that once we talk about the song. Uh, All right. Well. Yeah. And with that, so I think that that is a uh, I think that's a good time to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the six Kiss Alive songs that we picked for this episode. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Kiss and their entire self-made fame. And now we're going to talk about the Kiss Alive live from 1975 record that we're talking about during this episode. And this is our six songs segment. So for those of you who are new, welcome. And Lucas, can you explain to them the purpose of this segment? 
So this is going to be our chance to really just dive into the details about everything that we talked about in our first segment. We're going to actually talk about the music, talk about some of the songs. For those of you that are unfamiliar with KISS, that you would not call yourself KISS fanatics, these six songs are going to be your best first steps into the band. Uh, it's not just me picking my six favorites or six songs I think it'd be really cool if you heard or even what I think are the six best songs. These songs are to introduce you and hopefully get you to investigate the band more. And then also, I like to pick songs and order them in a way to where they transition well off of each other, that they uh, that they they blend well, and that they eventually lead you to a uh, to a cathartic experience at the end. So the way that you can go listen to these songs is to check on the uh, link in the description of the episode. That's going to take you to a Spotify playlist where you will have access to not just the uh, songs in this episode, but all the songs in our previous episodes as well. So make sure you go check that out. And I think that it is time for us to get started with the first song of the set and uh, the, the first song of the show, which honestly just makes the most sense. Right. And that is Deuce. Is this what not the about? first song of their first album? It's, no, it is not. Okay. I was I was surprised whenever I listened to the first album because it, it's uh, it it's such an obvious starting song. I do think that it starts the second side of the first album. Ah. But um Right. Now yeah, you, can, I, you can kind of hear, you know, when that announcer is like, ladies and gentlemen, you want them, you got them, the hottest band in the land, Kiss, you know? Mm-hmm. And they kind of start up, and then there's that pyrotechnic boom. It almost feels like you're watching them jump down onto the stage, kind of coming at you, and, and that's the that's the visual that I got, that it's like they are – it's kind of a one giant, you know, audio visual presentation of like, here we are, time to rock out. You know? Uh huh. Man, just when that, yeah, when that, when the song officially begins, it is just a cannon blast. Mm-hmm. Like you can just feel the energy just radiating off of the song. Yep. And like you listen to the studio version, and it's like, like obviously it's great because the song is there. But you can definitely feel the mix just taps a lot of the energy. Yeah. I mean, live records tend to do that, right? Yeah, but this one is it's a very noticeable difference. True, 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 true. Because the original was not really so great. <laughs> yeah. Um, this song is sung by Gene Simmons. Oh, really? Uh-huh. So he has more of the uh, the the mid range kind of more the growly uh, voice. You'll actually find that he sings half of the songs on this set. What? Mm-hmm. So we'll have to we'll have to make a uh, 
uh, a note of who's singing what on each album. There's even one song where, depending on the section, you've got a different lead singer. Hmm. Uh, the Kiss was very much inspired by the Beatles, and that was another reason why they went with the makeup is that they have to have a, like create these four very identifiable characters that like each one was a iconic member in of itself. Yeah, and the way that everyone knew John, Paul, George, and Ringo, and they all had their very specific traits, and as well as they wanted everyone to sing as well and be songwriters. And were they? Yeah, although, you know, some definitely, like like Gene and Paul were the main songwriters in the same way that Lennon and McCartney were. But it wasn't like an exclusive, oh, Peter, Chris, and Ace Freely can't write songs. No, but I mean, they definitely had to, the songs had to be good enough. Right. And Ace and Peter weren't as good of writers, but, you know, if they came up with a good song, they were like, sure, let's do it cool that that's kind of the impression that i i sort of got they sound like a very like jammy collaborative band uh-huh so what's deuce about deuce is about um telling your woman that her your baby works hard go have sex with him all right oh, all right you you know your man is working hard. He's worth a deuce, which is a slang for sex. Okay, I, I I won't get I won't get too more graphic than that. Yeah, yeah. but I mean it's just you know it's just like it's 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 just, it's that's that's what's gonna a lot of a lot of these songs are gonna be like. They're you know we're kind of it's not gonna be the very deep now kiss has written some songs like that like detroit rock city is not just a you know a, a sex drugs rock and roll song right now a significant thing about this song is that this is actually the song that uh they had already written the song when ace auditioned for the band and this was the song he auditioned to and he said it was when he plugged in and started playing deuce that they knew that he was the guy to be in the band. Wow. That's pretty dope. So, Ethan, what are your impressions on this song? Um, I I actually resonate with what you said before about, like, they're, like, just a rock and roll band. Uh-huh. I just, like, this song just feels like... They, they, it's like... Yeah, whenever we went through our ACDC episode, it was hard to just really get into the songs. It was like they have, I mean, it's like, okay, cool. You know, that's the song, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah. The end. So, uh, yeah, I the way that it's mixed, it's, it's a little bit difficult for It was difficult for me to hear the lyrics. Uh huh. Just. Maybe it's how he sings. Maybe it's the mix. Maybe it's both. But yeah, it's just. I mean, yeah, just a good song, <laughs> I guess. Okay. okay, Grant, what are your impressions on Deuce? Well, I mean, I've heard this song before, but I've never heard this version before, and so hearing it in this context is like, ooh, it's like you're right. There's some power behind it because I don't remember 
like I could not tell you what the uh, version that I heard sounded like. Mm-hmm. And before listening to this version, I couldn't tell you what the riff was. I couldn't tell. All I could tell you was that I, I didn't really like it. Like that's all I could have told you. But I can tell you now that I really did. I liked the emotion that was behind, you know, this version. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, that, that Gene Simmons scream towards the end. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's very, it's very big. Yeah. And you just, you listen to it and you just, you get this feeling just like, oh man, we're in for a ride. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a long, glorious night of rock and roll, <laughs> right? And it didn't—it it didn't disappoint. It wasn't one of those live records where it's like they come out and the singer's just having a bad night mm-hmm. and completely off pitch, or the guitar player is like drunk, you know. So, uh, and of course, like they're for a—I'll say this—for a mid '70s band, they're pretty tight. Right? Mm-hmm. They're not going to be playing anything super technical so they don't have to be extremely you know tight but they don't ever lose each other uh-huh right they always are knowing where the song is dynamically where what the other musicians are thinking and i think that part of that is because they've played together a lot and maybe they've rehearsed exactly how they're going to do this many 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 times yeah but at the same time the result was still there, right? The result yeah. of a of a good sounding, um, good collaborative effort was still there. Mm-hmm. Um, that bridge line is great. Yeah, there's to me this there's there's little details in the song that that don't make it just a normal rock song even though it is pure rock there's also just there's thought put in the way it's constructed like the fact that it's the verse starts with a fill as the vocals are going i feel like is not like a normal thing that you would do like when he does that initial baby and the drums are going and it just jumps into the groove right there and I love in the second verse when it goes into the da 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 like it's it could it could have very easily just like copied and pasted verse one and verse two musically, and just there's there's little things like that where they where they are putting they put thought in the way this song is arranged, and I think that that's you know even simple rock songs when they have that extra little amount of thought put into it i think that it really elevates it one of the things that i noticed a lot about their sound was it sounded super super generic 70s right like the guitars at least it didn't Mm -hmm. it didn't seem to me like they cared too much about making a beautiful guitar tone right the drums were pretty dry plus a little bit of flanging right uh-huh. I mean, the vocals probably had the most effects. And um, yet at the same time, you know, because obviously if you take away that audience noise, it kind of sounds like what is happening, you know, like somebody forgot to mix this album. But you yeah. add in the audience noise and it's, it's like, oh, okay. You know, that's probably that's probably one of the reasons why people were like, oh, 
maybe they or why people in their head would would justify the whole oh they just added audience noise to a bad you know recording version of these songs right um because like that's something that people do today is just add fake audience noise to Mm -hmm. a poorly executed studio like recorded song yeah um and yet i don't know there's a level of familiarity with having those things not be mixed and being able to just keep that raw audience noise in there. It's so weird to think about having a live album not have crowd noise, and yet this is like the first one where the crowd noise was important. Because it's like, that's a that's a staple of a live album now. It's like every live album you listen to, you want to hear the audience sing along, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's almost like that's, a, that's the fifth member of the band. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as far as the ranked playlist goes, I put Deuce at number 10. Nice. Ooh. That's, that's pretty that's high. They have, a lot of, they have a lot of stuff. They do. So, number 10 is pretty good. Yeah, for Kiss, that's a, that's a great spot. Well, um... <laughs> We get a nice little segue in between songs one and two, so this is this is unabridged from the uh, from the album, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, you've you've got Paul Stanley saying we're gonna have a rock and roll party, and we go straight into the actual first uh, song on Kiss's first album, which is Strutter. Ah. This doesn't actually come right after Deuce in that album. No, this is no. this is the song that opens their this first. Sounded, this sounded like it was supposed to be next. It really does. This is, I, I'm I'm freaked out right now. It sounds yeah, very weird. <laughs> I think that's another thing that's like again, they're this. I don't know who sequenced their first album, but it was like it should have been Deuce then Strutter. Yeah. Uh, I guess Strutter probably, I think probably them or their label felt more like a natural single. And so you want to, usually bands of that time, you know, their album, you want to put the big song first. Yeah. Because it's going to be the first thing people listen to on the album. But Strutter is uh, the first song that Gene and Paul wrote together. There are Kiss songs that predate that they both wrote before they met up that turned into Kiss songs, but this was the first one that they had ever like combined forces to like because originally started off as a Gene song, and it was Random a question. How old are, were they at this time? They were, man, they were younger than you and me, Ethan. They were probably like twenty three. Wow, because they were like they were. Gene and Paul were like nineteen and twenty when they first met up, and now and they met up in like seventy seventy one, and then this is seventy. So they were probably like mid twenties at this point. Man, we got to kick it into gear. When's our live album coming out? I know. <laughs> I'm almost thirty. Um, but yeah, so this this was kind of like this their first time writing together and this is they've created such a great song mm. so yeah this this uh gene originally had this song and it was called uh i think it was called pd the parrot 
Paul said that Gene wrote some very strange songs before they started working together, but he <laughs> said that he had listened to that demo of that song and he was just like, I really like this chord progression. I don't want to sing a song about Pete the Parrot, but I want to I want to use those chords. I, we could we could really do something with that. And um, he also said that this song specifically came straight from the Rolling Stones, lyrically. That he had just heard their song Brown Sugar and just just wanted to write a song about a spoiled woman that you you hate how materialistic she is, but at the same time, you also want her really bad. Mm -hmm. You know, she's she's someone that, you know, is. Uh, a devil, and yet it's the devil that you want. Mm. Yeah, wow. she's, a, she's a spoiled brat that believes that she should have everything, and by God, she's going to get everything. He's going to make sure she does. <laughs> the, there's there's a lot of little moments in this song where it's like it isn't the same riff over and over. Like from the bass level. I think this is kind of like the magic of hair metal, right? Is that uh -huh. on the bass level, you can learn the riff that they're playing super, super, super easy and play that main riff and get your way through the song super, super easy from a beginner level. But there's little tidbits in there that take the song from being a good song to a great song. Particularly, there's, there's a moment in the last verse where they do like these hits like this, bum, 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 bum. And it's like the whole yeah. band does that. And it's like, that's not something that you really see in normal pop music. Uh-huh. Right? And that's, that's not in the, that's... that's not in the studio version. Oh, that's even weirder. I know that was the guitar does it, but the drums don't in the studio version, the drums keep going and you hear the guitars going. And Again, just the live version is is so much better. Yeah. Also, Did you rank the live version or the studio? No, I, I ranked the studio version. Um, I what I'll do because I just I had so much music to get through and I still didn't even get through it all. Like I said, I I, I got all the way to uh, their nineteen eighty four album Animal Eyes, and so uh, they're still like seven or eight albums after that that I had to get Frank as well as you know live songs and compilation cuts and all that so whenever I go back through like the next time I do a Kiss episode I'll rank the rest and then the when we do a volume three that's probably when I'll actually start comparing different versions of songs yes. and, and creating like a definitive version yeah, we we had kind of talked about that idea whenever we did the Metallica episode. Yeah. So, uh, but where'd you put Strutter? I put Strutter at number three. Wow. I Big wig song. To me, this is this is like um, definitive Kiss. Wow. It's just it's everything is is working perfectly, and I would I would say that this is the first hair metal song. Like every hair metal song in the eighties, like pretty much owes its debt to Strutter. Like this song could have come out unchanged in the eighties, and it would have fit in perfectly. 
True. It was about yeah. ten. It was about ten years ahead of its time. It's true. And just it's it, the song is really well written. Those the the verse melodies are are really good. Oh, the verse melody for sure. I was thinking about that just now. Guitar yeah. solo, both guitar solos are awesome. Both, I like the sound of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ethan, do you remember this being on Guitar Hero Two? Nope, I do not. It was uh, it was in the first set of songs. Are you a million percent sure? Yes, because I remember I remember hearing it, and I because I that was the first Kiss song I'd ever heard. Googling it. <laughs> He's gonna fact check you so fast. Oh, I am one hundred percent confident that I am correct about that. <laughs> Where are you? Where are you? Kiss. Wait, what? It was in the. It was in. It was. Yep. It was there. It was in the very first section Jeez. of songs with "Heart Shaped Box" and "Surrender." And then I must have played this literally one time. Yeah, because you only <laughs> played the harder. You only played ever. the hardest songs. I I did expert difficulty and got through this, and I was like, "All right, man, I do not even remember this." I definitely think that um, Guitar Hero is the uh, is the godfather of this podcast. It, bril- this podcast, it really is. This podcast we, we, exist if you would we should do a bonus episode someday of uh, going through and talking about guitar, different guitar heroes and how good the songs were. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rock Band 2 was okay. the greatest set list of any rhythm game ever. You're probably right. I just liked Guitar Hero better. Yeah. Just enjoyed it. Man. Yeah, well, I would love to. I would love to rant about the Rock Band too, because so, that's that was that was magic that could never be duplicated. This the sheer number of top tier songs on the is insane. Um, yeah, uh, Ethan, what what were your thoughts on Strutter? I, it's, I mean, again, the the riffs are really good and i yeah the both of the guitar solos are really good and i was surprised at how good the verses were the the melodies mm-hmm. but yeah just the it's just a good lick yeah and the the all the like the gang vocals on the like that that stack harmony on the choruses uh-huh it's good just everything about the song just works like that that didn't work I wouldn't have thought that the the harmonies would have been good like if someone said hey that kiss song like they did these stacked harmonies it was awesome I would have been like no <laughs> you're freaking wrong I mean yeah but all all four, up. all four members sing harmonies and, are one of those things that are overlooked in hair metal but used all the time Yep, they really. So, I mean, you think about Def Leppard, you know, oh boy, mm-hmm. or um, White Snake, Warrant, White Snake. Oh man, yeah, exactly. So, uh, maybe not so much um, if you think about a band like ACDC, 
they kind of have they kind of have more of a, a gang vocal feel, if anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, uh, you're not going to harmonize with Brian Johnson. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but like Paul Stanley has a much purer voice. Mm-hmm. It's still it's not like a sweet voice, but it's purer. Oh yeah, in case so I they're able to. In case I didn't uh, say, Paul Stanley does sing this song. Okay, um, I always assume that it's Paul Stanley singing because it's just it's so weird to me to for Gene Simmons to be singing and it not be Doctor Love. Doctor Love is awesome. It is, but <laughs> I always thought that was like, ooh, that's the song where the bass player sings. Oh no, he's and so. Right, I was you said, I was really surprised to learn how many songs he sang. Right, exactly. It's like I thought that that was what made Doctor Love special was because it was Gene Simmons' song. Because that's just what I knew it as, and I'm very wrong. Yep. <laughs> yes, you are. Uh, uh, including our next song. Oh. Oh boy. <laughs> this one's a little slower, I think. Yes, it is. This is this is kind of this is our uh this is our opportunity to kind of stretch out and jam a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah, I mean Kiss is never the band that's gonna, you know, do a twelve minute jam. Oh <laughs> well. Well, the next this the song after that, that's not the same thing like to where everyone's like playing and improvising off each other and uh, okay. and you know is this a jam jam no so this is actually uh the second half of this song is cut from another uh kiss song it's actually from their uh from their first album and it's called let me know and i was really surprised whenever because I had heard this version plenty of times before I listened to their first record. And that riff, that where it comes in with those hits and that that uh, on the song, let me know that only comes in in like the last 20 seconds of the song. And then it just like ends, but they really, it's kind of like they, they had that riff and they didn't know quite what to do with it. And so they're like, oh, let's uh, let's just uh, put it on the end of this random song. But then live, they're like, now let's, let's, let's really try and figure out something to do with this riff. And they turn it into this great jam moment. Mm-hmm. So um, the idea of it is not improvised but what they do after it is not on any studio album mm-hmm. that's cool but the actual song itself she is from their third album dressed to kill where'd you rank okay. it i put it at number 20 wow still pretty good do you think this is the best version of it yes now, Where would you rank this if you had to rank it, the live one? Man, because yeah, you, since you add in that uh, that that jam at the end, or the even really the whole second half, I think that that can get down to like number. I think it could get down to number seventeen. Because man, you start you get to number seventeen, and it's a, it's some freaking great songs. It starts to the competition starts to get very tough. 
but I think I think it can pass a couple songs once you add in that jam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's there's a little spot in um, she that I really appreciate, and that's kind of like when it goes down to just drums and bass. Yeah, yeah. Because from this point in the set that we're listening to, it's pretty much been you know all hands on deck. And then it's like, ooh, it all of a sudden drops to like just bass and drums. Like, ooh, I'm gonna pay attention now, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's something new for the ear to focus on, which is always a good thing. Yeah. Well, okay, not always, but 99% of the time, it's a good thing. When it's Lou Reed saying, "Why do I cheat on me?" over and over, then maybe not so much. <laughs> That's gonna be such a great, um, a great go-to line now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man, that's a little that's a little teaser for our bad music podcast for those of you non patrons. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so what is the song about? Um, it's about a it's about a woman that he wants to make love to. The powers oh, are within her as she takes off her clothes. I mean, most of Kiss's songs are about. Of love making, yeah, they're they they really honestly were the first band to get really creative in all of the ways they describe nailing chicks. <laughs> creative, like in the way that it got really over the top in hair metal, where it's you know where the double entendres start to really. I would say it was them and Aerosmith were kind of like yeah, the originators of the you know what's the what's the funniest most creative way we can just talk about you know, getting laid. And, um, cause yeah, once you start to get into like the classic period, like something like, uh, like calling Dr. Love, the whole, it's still just about getting a chick, but it's a really clever line of, uh, they call me Dr. Love and I've got the cure you're thinking of. Like, that's just a great line, but it's, yeah. but it's still just, it's just, getting a girl so um so yeah that's that's uh that's pretty much just the whole point of this song now this is a song that uh they said had been kicked around since the first record and it didn't actually get recorded until the third record Mm -hmm. i love the first half of this song what do you think of the second half then? I I I like the second half. I, just, I it has a good energy to it. But I think after Deuce and Strutter, we got into this, and then those harmonies hit, and it's just so like slow and like bluesy. Uh huh. It's a great yeah, great blues rip. The and that pre-chorus weird lift. It's just yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, the pre-chorus lift also took me off guard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The second half of this song to me sounds like somewhere between uh, uh, Rush's debut and Kill 'Em All. Huh? Yeah it's it it does have a bit of a metallic edge to it. It, it has well because this it's a little bit faster. There's just some some crashes and some hits that the band is all doing, and it's very. Um, octave-based riffage, and you've got that um, guitar line at the end that kind of starts to 
get faster and faster and faster and faster. And of course, this is 1975 and Rush debuted in 1974. So there's no way that, you know, Rush took this from them. Uh-huh. But also at the same but time, Rush like... was... Well, no. It probably was because one of Rush's early big uh, moments was opening for Kiss. And so you're saying that it very Ace really might have. He may have well gotten that idea from Working Man. Wow. Because yeah, they I think they toured together in seventy five. I think they toured together in seventy five because it was they uh, Rush was promoting Fly by Night. Yeah, and they were the opening band for Kiss, and they. Uh, They've gone on to say that they literally had no good friendships with any other band in the 70s except Rush. Wow. Even though Rush would always go back to the hotel room, they'd go out to party. Uh-huh. There was just – there was this unspoken respect between them. That's true. Ru- Rush um, are notoriously nice guys, so that's doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. they're Canadians. What do you expect? <laughs> Well, nice. That's true. <laughs> Very opposite from the New York rock and roll scene. Yes. Yeah. You know that Canadian rock scene in the seventies. Uh huh. But yeah, so I can I I I have a sneaking suspicion that that he that Ace saw Alex doing that. I was just like, huh, that's a good idea. But Ace does it very well. He doesn't do it as, quite as well as Alex, but... Right, you don't listen to this and go, wow, that is something that Rush would have written. You Like, you had to have known about that particular moment uh-huh. in Working Man and be very familiar with it to even be like, hmm, kind of sounds like that. But at the same time, I'm sure Alex didn't invent it. That's That seems like a one of those, you know, that's a guitar trick that guitarists had been using for a while. Right, that that little lick. Yeah, or just and the, just and having... the idea of just kind of starting slow and then slowly getting faster. I'm sure Hendrix yeah. had done it, and you know, yeah. that's it's yeah, yeah. it's also I feel like that's a very blues idea. It's a super. It's not that complex of a trick. No, like it may very well be the case that multiple different guitarists came up with it on their own. Yeah, right. So. But it it is an impressive show of skill, and it's it's kind, oh, yeah. of, it's kind of our moment in the set to really give a, a spotlight to Ace. Yeah, yeah, and it it shows that he is an energetic guitar player that he's good, but he's not necessarily like a shredder, right? He's not going up and down the fretboard all the time. No. He is definitely still – like, we're definitely still in the blues center. Yeah. You can tell like, that that's where he comes from. Right, right. And there's a point kind of partway through that lick when he gets faster and faster and faster where he can't keep up with the speed anymore. And you only pick up on it if you're yeah. trying to listen to the exact notes that he's playing. And if you're just trying to listen to – you know, like, oh, what is it like being there? And and listening to it from that perspective, you'd be like, oh, okay, he's just, like, getting more rambunctious as we're going, right? And that's auditory, like, that's what you get from the audio, 
and you kind of have to read into it a little bit, and that's kind of the the limiting nature of a live album is that you can't see what's happening, but at the same time, it's it was well done in a way that you can still figure it out, right? It's not an enigma as to what's going on on stage, I guess. In a really in a really roundabout way, the album's good at giving you the experience. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So there's a long-winded way of saying that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that uh, we are ready to um, move on to our next song. The uh, the biggest song of our set. We're going to talk about this song for a couple hundred thousand years. <laughs> now, this is the 12-minute song that you said they didn't have. Yes, but, I mean, <laughs> you know, this is, uh, this is this is a bit different because it, it kind of turns into this different thing. This isn't them just kind of all, like, you know, playing together at the same time. The main reason oh. why it's so long is, first off, you have a drum solo. And then you have this, I think, one of the most brilliant Kiss live moments where Paul Stanley really gets into full preaching mode. Where he asks people if they believe in rock and roll. Now, Paul Stanley's singing this one? Yes, he is. So they got it right. Okay. Okay, so um, this one in a weird way sounded like uh, like a Led Zeppelin. Song. Yeah, I can see that. It's got yeah, it's got that uh, it's got that shuffle to it. Yeah, it's it's almost like uh, Achilles' last stand. Yeah, it's. I think it's because this is just again, this is a this is a very bluesy sounding song. Yeah. This is another song off of their first record, by the way. Mm. So as you sing, the first record is is proving to have a lot of big, great songs on it. Mm-hmm. And there's like this little lick that um, Ace plays like partway through, you know, the main riff, uh-huh. right over and over. It's like part; it's part of the riff, and um, it's very pentatonic. But it's very like tight. It's like do 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 do. You know, it's like playing something like that live over and over again perfectly is not exactly the easiest thing, especially when you have 1975 guitarist standards. You know, mm-hmm. like nowadays, if a guitar player wouldn't be able to play a wick like that live, like he's not even worth being in the band. But you got to remember, like this in the context of 1975. This level of skill is is pretty much, you know, top of the top. And we get some great moments in this song of Ace really showing off. Yeah. Continuing what we saw in Shit. Uh-huh. So. Dude, that bass line at the beginning is pretty mm-hmm. tough, too. Gene Simmons, I have found, is actually doing a lot more than you realize. Oh yeah, he's he is actually a really really good bass player. Not and you would think that that's assumed in a big rock group, but 
I've I've heard a lot of people say it's just like, oh, Gene Simmons is not that great of a bass player. He's just a good showman. But when I really He's I both. really started to pay attention to a lot of the bass parts in these songs, I'm just like, actually, he's really playing. He's and and also hearing a lot of the songs in all of their other records, I really realized just how good he really was. And to be able to sing while doing a lot of that and watching him play live, he doesn't look down at his bass at all. He just he just mm-hmm. moves around and he just knows where to go. Right, and, like, you listen to the next song on there, like, he's really walking the bass line. Like, uh-huh. that's such a simple song, and yet the bass is so, so active, right? That, I think, is one of the reasons why, as they got later on in their career, right, and Gene Simmons started to pursue his acting career in the 80s, he didn't have as much time to uh, put into Kiss, and so a lot of the bass lines got simpler and simpler. Uh-huh. And that, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, this is me and my limited KISS knowledge, right? By the way, disclaimer. But I think that's one of the reasons why um, that era of KISS was not as good. Yeah. Is because it didn't have to go through the Gene Simmons, you know, filter, yeah, whatever also, that looks like. And his uh, his songwriting input went way down. Right, Paul, right. Because you just a lot larger of the songwriting uh responsibility and yeah and the bass parts got simpler so the songs got less interesting i mean as we listen through the next song right you know ethan like whether you believe me or not right um which i'm sure you there's no reason why you shouldn't right but um try to try to listen to it Obviously, listen to the bass part that's there and then try to listen to part of it as if the bass part was just mirroring guitar part and I guarantee you it will sound like the worst thing in the world. It will sound the way that you think it does because it's overplayed, right? Um, Listening to the bass parts of these rock and roll songs really makes them come alive. (laughs) No pun intended, right? (laughs) Uh, That's like when I started learning bass, um, before I learned bass, you know, my, my dad would play the Scorpion song, um, Tease Me, Please Me, over and over again. And Lucas, we played that in the, the cover band. We sure did. And I I really did not like that song at all. I thought it was boring. I don't care who the cheese man is, right? And um, But once I started learning bass and paying attention to, like, what the bass was doing, and then I would hear that song, I'm like, ooh, I kind of like this song now. And then my dad was like, good, now you're listening to the right part of the song. And then that made me realize, like, oh, there's more to the song than just the vocals, right? So I guess Kiss is a good example of that. There's more to Kiss than just the cool guitar solos and the, you know, crazy, weird party lyrics and the great vocals, which are all important parts, right? But you cannot discount that Gene Simmons bass yeah what a, among, among all the other parts of the what band, a great right? break i loved that dude at the end of this song whenever he gets everybody clapping it is so freaking yes. awesome so let's let's talk about the live version of this song and kind of the journey that it takes you along so you start off with a drum solo which the drum solo is is 
it's a drum solo. It's not one where it's not Neil Peart or John Bonham where you're just like, oh, oh my God, what's he doing? Like it's very mm. the tempo ramp is oh, cool, yeah, huh? but it's but it's uh, you know, it's he's he's not missing anything, which is single stroke rolls, baby. Yeah, um, and floor on the floor. Yeah, I uh, I've played drum solos live before. It is very nerve wracking and very difficult to pull off everything that you're trying to do. Yeah. Um, and so props to Peter Chris for not making it too complex to where he couldn't handle it and just playing a great, and you can tell that the whole point of that is not for everyone to stop what they're doing and watch that. It's like, everyone's like, he's everyone's clapping and you know, it's, um, Peter actually fought to get the drum solo on. The other guys didn't want to put it on because they thought that it would be boring. They just wanted to kind of cut straight to the uh, to the Sturman part. But I think that the drum solo very well sets up what's going on. Oh, yeah. yeah. It kind of uh, makes it to where you're almost waiting for what's going to happen. And then when Paul Stanley comes out and sort of starts directing everybody. Did this catch like you they... by surprise when you were listening to it for the first time? Right, and it yes. and it also it's like they will pay attention more because now there's something there's something extra there, and mm-hmm. they can kind of build it very, very very slowly. There was a big shift in the set with the with that long of a drum. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is to me this this is like not just one of the most iconic moments in the Alive show, but I think that this is one of the most iconic moments in Kiss. Period. This whole, um, this whole section is just like this is what made this is a, a perfect illustration of what made them such a great live group. No one was doing stuff like this in 1965. Yeah, like Queen was still figuring out their live group, and they were they were they were a group that would eventually do stuff like this. You know, we, when we listen to. Uh, to the now I'm here and he starts doing the all right all right and they're calling back to him like that was not that wasn't they didn't really cement that until like the late 70s when kiss was doing this it was just like this was not what you did at a rock concert it was not very common to be involved with your audience there was almost like there was usually a divide like we're up here you're down there we're going to play to you we're going to play at you not we're with you. That's something that we kind of take for granted today, I think. Also, I'm just going to say that Paul Stanley is probably one of the best uh, stage banterists in rock and roll. <laughs> he's He's got such a great... He's got a very quick tongue, and he knows just to say the right words at the right time. He's not someone that's stuttering and stammering up on stage. He's completely confident in everything that he's saying. Yeah. And then, uh, and then it just it ends with such a great finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I'm listening back through it, right? Um, now. I had to rank the song, like I said, based on the studio version. And the studio version, I put at number sixteen. Because obviously it doesn't have that. It's it's a great song, but it doesn't have that large extended 
yeah. you know, section. Mm-hmm. It would be top 10 for sure if I ranked the live mm-hmm. version. Wow. Dude, yeah, whenever the guitars come in, mm-hmm. the drums are under it, dude. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that, that guitar line at the end, well, that's like not quite a solo, but not quite a rhythm part. And then it evolves into what you would say would be a guitar solo. It's like really cathartic. Mm-hmm. Really nice. So, and then, they, and then they don't they don't trash can they they give us the delayed. Well, they do trash can. They, they trash can a little bit. Yeah, it's not. It's not the type of trash can that we're going to see later, but they do they do a little bit of trash yeah. canning, you know. Um, and they kind of end with a with a working man sounding, um, uh, little little adage at the end, which is yeah. so weird that I just remembered that they toured with Rush, but now it's all making sense. Yep. So it's all coming together. All coming, the, the guitar tone, the licks. The little add-ons makes total sense. Right. Rush just turns everything to gold. Yes. So. Well. I mean, Kiss, Kiss was already pretty good when they met, but you know. I am. Uh, I'm very excited now to get to our next song, the song that Ethan notoriously has hated for quite some time. Yes. Uh. We're going to talk about Kiss's their their most iconic song. It's their calling card song. It's the reason why they close their sets with it. Although it doesn't close the set on this record. Um, we have rock and roll all night and party every day. The intro to this song is just awesome. The live intro to it with Paul Stanley saying you've been a terrific audience and and the way he just says, so let's rock and roll all night and party every day is just amazing. Whenever whenever you hear this played on radio, you actually always hear the live version. Yep. And this this is one of those things like with Cheap Trick, like there's, you know, I want you to want me and surrender. You always hear the live versions of them rather than the studio. Um, I think that anytime someone plays the studio version and I've heard them, people do that. It's a big mistake. This Mm -hmm. is actually the one instance where I rank the live version because the studio version is so inferior. This is the definitive version. This is the definitive version. Anytime someone covers this song, they cover what's being played live. uh Uh-huh. In fact, that's what I told you guys to do whenever I was in the band with you, is that a guy attempted to do the studio version. And I was just like, no, what are you doing? We have to play the live version. Yeah, and and I am starting to – well, not starting to. I definitely quickly became part of that um, camp. Mm-hmm. Like as soon as I heard the changes – I was like, "Ooh, it's like a little bit more, a little bit more interesting." I well, it's more than a little bit more interesting. Well, the the entire second half of the song is not even on the studio version. I I exactly, and the way that they do the <laughs> chorus too. Yeah, the 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 studio version is what 
Ethan has to be thinking of when they say that they just sing the chorus over and over again. Mm-hmm. That's what the studio version does. It just does the rock and roll all night and it does it like 20 plus times and then fix. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The live version does not do this. It it gets in, gets out, and then leaves room for a lot of great instrumental moments. Oh yeah. So because of that, I actually did rank the live version because it's it is the definitive version and it's the version you hear on radio it's you know it's it it might as well be the only version i couldn't i i couldn't in good conscience rank the studio version because it does not represent where it is in its iconic status as a kiss song So I won't I won't say where it's ranked yet. We'll get to that when we finish talking about the song. <laughs> um, so this oh, yeah. is actually songwriting wise, this is a perfect marriage of Gene and Paul, because someone had said to Paul that you need an anthem, you need something that everyone can sing along to and defines what Kiss is as a band, and so he came up with the chorus of Rock and Roll All Night. But he couldn't figure out what to do with the, for the rest of the song. And so he's talking to Gene. And Gene said, man, I've got this great verse of you show us everything you got. You know, you drive us wild, we'll drive you crazy. But I don't have a chorus for it. And Paul said, well, I've got a chorus and I don't have a verse. Let's put the two songs together. Easy. Also, uh, Grant, I'm going to blow your mind here. Gene Simmons is singing this song. Oh, yeah, I, I figured that. And you were talking about how just how intricate the bass line is on here. Oh, that's true. Oh, that's a good point. Like, as soon as I heard him saying, I was thinking, ooh, I'm going to guess correctly that this was Gene. Mm-hmm. Right? And then I completely forgot that I told Ethan to listen to the bass. And then I, so I didn't listen to the bass. And it's like the bass is syncopated, right? Do, 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 You know, that's not, you have to really pay attention to what you're doing. It's not hard, but you have to pay full attention. Um, it doesn't match then, up at all with the rhythm of the words. No, which are also kind of syncopated as well. So. Uh, because that's just the way that rock and roll is. It's not. It's not like it sits in straight four four, but not everything is perfectly subdivided. That's kind of the magic of of um, some of these real iconic songs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, syncopation is just. It's just. It's just a magical thing that can make anything better. I don't know what it is about. Well, I mean, you got to do it right, obviously, but. I don't know what what it is about syncopation. It just does that. Mm. That's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy though. Um, the the guitar solo on this song is also legendary in of itself. This, this, oh yeah, that's true. That's true too. Yeah, this is. I feel like and it's the not, most. Rec- it's not on the studio version, is it? Nope. Like, there's no guitar solo on the studio version. I like how it, um, and I always try to mirror this when I cover it, is that he starts on the lower octave mm-hmm. and plays a little bit of solo there, 
And then for the second one, he starts on the higher octave and basically plays the same uh, the same thing for the first half. Mm-hmm. And then he like bends up to like the four, and it's like ooh, and it's I don't know something about that. It's like uh, bending up from the flat three to the four when you're in rock and roll is such a big like it's a big yes moment i don't know any other way to describe it like the um the chorus to flying high again right after randy's guitar solo you know he'll play the the chorus um guitar riff three or twice and then on the third time he'll do this like and it's like that's that's exactly the same kind of feeling Uh uh-huh and so uh, i don't know it's just one of those tricks that if you're into that classic rock stuff it's like all over the place and yet every time it's used it's just so well done Mm -hmm. i'm sure that that ethan can tell me all about the the jazz overly done things that never get old but this is one of the rock things. <laughs> two five one. Two five one. There you go. <laughs> I remember you mentioning that in our Miles Davis episode. <laughs> it's because it's okay, true. Ethan. So now, as are you, are you starting to have some different feelings about this song? I I think that this version is definitely better than the studio version of it. Um. But I, I guess because this is the version that I hear on on radio. I guess I do think that the story behind the song is funny. I was just like, I love these guys. Just feel like really simple yeah. guys. Yeah. And I, so I respect it. That's just like, man, I have this verse. Well, I have a chorus. <gasps> what if? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just like, and then it's the uh-huh. biggest song, you know. So I respect it. I think just in general, I think the disposition is better and it makes more sense knowing the history where it's like, we need an anthem song. And so just make one, you know? And so in that, because I still think that they probably repeat the I want to rock and roll all night part a lot, but it's an anthem song. And it doesn't sound like the crowd is getting tired yeah, no. of it. So this might be like a genre thing where I'm just like, where I'm like, okay, let's get this to is, a this part. Is, you know? This is arena and, rock. And everyone in the crowd's like, More. Yeah, whenever they, like you know? in recent shows, they'll they'll sing that chorus like 50 times and the, and the crowd just goes nuts for it every single time. It's, it's, it's so... Like it just gets progressively yeah. louder. And crazier, Yeah. It's so weird how some of the greatest songs by artists, some of those iconic songs, were intended to be their iconic song. Like, it was intended to be their anthemic song. Yeah. And it just goes to show you how intentional they can be with their songwriting. Yeah. You've got to be a great songwriter to to try and write a great song and then do it. Like there's so many people that accidentally write great songs, but when they they sit down with the intent of I've got to write a truly great song that will be remembered, they can't do it. Mm-hmm. Kiss was had a challenge, just like let's write a song 
that is going to be our like they literally like he literally said we're going to write a song that's going to be our calling card song and right i mean <laughs> ready go they did it <laughs> Right, like I, I think of Ghost Square Hammer. Like they wrote it with the intention of it being their live song where everybody sings along. Yeah. And it is like arguably their biggest song as well. Yeah. It's and you could make like there's a very strong argument to say that Tobias Forge is one of the greatest, you know, metal slash pop slash whatever you want to call ghost um writers of you know modern today. And Kiss, like, there's a very strong argument to say they are among the greatest classic rock artists. Yeah. Right. So that that's what I mean. It's like that the ability to have a goal artistically and then do it, right? Something that's so subjective as this being our biggest song. You can't control that. And yet somehow they did i don't know it's like it's pretty insane yeah i mean just literally everyone in there this is this is one of those songs kind of like we will rock you that just everybody has heard you would be hard pressed to find someone that can't sing that i want to rock and roll all night and party every day like even if they don't know the rest of the song like 90 percent of people know that line it's it's become yeah. pop culture at this point. It's more than yeah, this more song than pop culture. I'm, is almost bigger. Yeah, than I'm the pretty band. sure people are bored knowing that line at this point. Uh huh. So, um, so I put this at number four. Number four. Mm-hmm. That's rather low. I mean, it's a well. I mean, okay. it's such a well written song. I don't. I don't want to say. I don't want to say that that that's I meant that's I expected it to be number one. That's what I meant. Uh, and I, I don't want to say it's number four. Like, oh, that's rather low. Like, it should be higher, but it's like surprising that it's not number one. Well, it must be that the top three are just really good. Well, I put I put Strutter just one peg above it. That's true. I think I think Strutter has a little more inventiveness melodically, but I mean, man, it's it's you you you're splitting hairs at this point in the list. Yeah. Um, but we still got one more song. You would we you do. would think that this would be the song you would end the set with. And. Why did you not end it with? Because it just ends very suddenly, and I wanted to have. Uh, it doesn't have like a big trash can ending. It doesn't. It doesn't have That's true. Because because like I said, it doesn't end the album. Although the next song actually does not end the album. What it ends? Mm. It ends the main set, and rock and roll all night is part of the encore. But they have uh... one more song in the encore, and it's a song that's. Not it's okay. It's not that. It's one of the weakest songs on Alive. But this song closes the main set and is their constant main set closer. And that is Black Diamond. This one threw me for a loop. I'm not going to lie. This is one of the most unique 
songs compositionally that they've probably ever written. It felt like Foo Fighters mixed with Skid Row. <laughs> and yet at the same time, it was still Kiss. Yeah. So you know. this is this is another song off the first album. Wow. And it's Dang. a song that closes the first album. It sounds like a closer. Yeah. It sounds it's like a song. <laughs> yeah, it does. This is I can keep naming bands that it sounds this, like I'm gonna stop. It just and it shows you all these songs, all these bands are way after Kiss. Yeah, that's so true. showing that this is this is a very influential song. Um, this song has two lead singers, so you've got Paul Stanley that sings the 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 slow intro, but then we've got Peter Chris coming in to sing this song. What a guy! The verses and choruses. Oh, so we, that's cool. Uh, Ace actually had not sung any songs at this point in Kiss's career. He would not start singing songs until uh, their eighth album, Love Gun. But once he did, he started singing pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. Although he did, he did write lots of songs. Um, he just he didn't sing. But Peter Chris from the very first album. This this is the only song on the first album he sang. But boy, did he pick a song to sing? Yeah. And he sings it so well. It's like he's got that crazy wild, wild man sound about him. He's his voice is very similar to Gene's, but it's yeah, it's it's much rawer. It's it's more um, unpolished. Mm-hmm. I like that though. Yeah, there are there are times where Peter Chris's voice is is not great. We'll talk about mm-hmm. that in the uh, in the bad music podcast segment, <laughs> but it's par- it's he he's is the best singer for this song. Mm-hmm. So does uh, does Eric Carr sing it now? Eric Carr uh, died in the early nineties. Well, okay, did he at the time? I actually don't know because I didn't watch uh, any performances with that lineup. Okay. Tell you. What's what's crazy though is that he actually died the same day Freddie Mercury did. Oh wow! Dang, not a good day. Talk about being overshadowed. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so Black Diamond is this. It's it's such a it's such a strange winding. It's you kind of almost get this this proggy feel from it yeah where it's it's like it's a it's a journey type song where it doesn't really lead you in your it leads you in a straight line towards something and of course the thing it leads you towards is the big ending the studio version of the way this ends is really weird I like it, but it's not what they do live because they can't do it live. What they do is they it goes into that bounce down where it's like just they're just doing the hits. On the studio version, yeah. they start slowing the tape down to where it sounds like they're detuning and it's and it's getting slower as well until it like just slows down into oblivion. 
Oh, that's cool. It is really cool. But obviously they can't do that live. So instead they do the opposite where they just speed up and then turn it into this huge trash can. And yes, those are cannons that go off. Real cannons in the end. Not Obviously not real cannons shooting cannonballs, but uh, they they got cannons on stage to shoot. <laughs> to just give it that extra powerful punch. That that cannon yeah, feel. As as a band does. <laughs> yeah, as a, a band as big as it does. doesn't even sound real. The cannons. Yeah. And they probably gave it a little punch in post production, but I was I was wondering why they kept doing those hits at the end. Because mm-hmm. to me it almost sounds like, oh, these are the random hits to kind of make you... It's like the tolling bell of like, ah, oh, the show's over, guys. Like, it's the end. Oof. Mm-hmm. That, and whether that was intentional or not, that's the that's the vibe that I got. Yeah, well, it's 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 because that's... It's the way it's, it does on the studio, but... Right. But in reverse. In reverse. So. Um, yeah, and there's the cannon shots as well. I always thought it was listening to this. I always thought it was pyrotechnics, but I guess there not. probably were some of that too. Cool. Then the crowd is going absolutely crazy uh-huh. after this. Oh yeah, they want more. I mean, they got an encore, you know. Uh-huh. So yeah, on the on the vinyl, this closes side three, so it gives you the nice fade out, which uh, to kind of make it feel complete. So uh, you might be asking yourself, what is a black diamond? I am asking myself that. Pretty much the diamond being a diamond in the rough. And Mm -hmm. black meaning pretty much a black diamond is a a very attractive black woman. And particularly that she's a prostitute. But she's she's a she's so good though and 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 so beautiful, but yet she's in this in this nasty place out on the street for a living. Gotcha, gotcha. She's you know, she's a black diamond. And so this also shows um a lot of the way that Gene and Paul would write. They always talked about they had a competition with each other to see who could write a song first. And they almost turned it into a game where a lot of times they would come up with a great title. The title would come first and then someone else, like they would hear someone mention the title and then the other person would go write the song. Um, I believe it was Gene that came up with the, the title Black Diamond and Paul went and wrote it. And Gene like got really mad. He's like, hey, I was going to write that song. I just didn't have the song. And he's like, well, I beat you yeah, to Once it. he say the title, it's fair game. Uh huh. They they did the the opposite thing happened with Christine sixteen, where Paul came up with that title and Gene ran off and wrote the song. <laughs> and so they 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 wrote a lot of songs that way, where they just kind of someone would come up with the initial idea like a song title, and then the other uh, would come in and kind of with the song itself. Sometimes they did that intentionally to try and get ideas. Other times. They totally stole from the other person. 
I mean, you're in the same band, so it's all the same, I guess. Right. And uh, in the original, in the first couple records, uh, songwritings went to Kiss and not to the specific yeah. person that wrote it. So they all shared in the in the royalty. Now, of course, that changed once they started to get bigger. But, you know, to them, I was like, it didn't yeah. matter. We're both getting paid for it anyway. Might as well see who comes up with the best song. <laughs> sure. It's fair. So, Ethan, what's your... Uh, What's your I think this, reaction? This, to this is song? a great set ender. Where did I think I think it was a smart move putting this yeah. at the end of I almost didn't. I almost put because in the sequence this actually comes after one hundred thousand mm-hmm. years. And then originally I was gonna put do one hundred thousand black diamond yep. and then end with rock and roll. And I listened through it the first time and I was like, this doesn't feel right it doesn't feel finished and so i swapped the two and listened through it again i was like okay this yeah this works yeah it would it would be weird ending with rock and roll and i after after like hearing both of them you know Uh uh-huh it it almost doesn't feel epic enough with that like kind of guitar intro thing you know yeah Kind of it, it sets up how big the song is going to be. But yeah, I think what caught my attention was that that intro line, like the boom, and especially the like that line. I was just like, dang, that's good. Yeah. Oh yeah, that line is so great. Dang, it's really good. <laughs> well, I put it at number two. Well, what's number one? On then? The you got, you got I'll, I'll, I bet I know. I'll tell you guys in after hours. I bet I know. So, listeners, if you want to know what it is, you gotta gotta. You'll never go know. To Patreon and find out. <laughs> never know for sure. Uh, Grant, did you feel like this uh, this song gave you that catharsis? I think it did, especially. Well, it helps that there was like the cannons really the helped end. with the mm-hmm. catharsis. That that kind of signifies. Yeah, that it feels kinda, like that kind of helps signify band that the show is over. Catharsis you know? cannons. <laughs> cannons. <laughs> cannons of catharsis. What kind of music would they? I feel like that's an early 2000s like alt rock group. Ew, gross. That, that, but the singer writes all the songs, and every song is about alcohol and cigarettes. It's it's a it's like a that's heavy the prog metal group called Canons of Catharsis. Uh, oh, if you put the of in there, now it sounds like power metal. Oh yeah, it does sound power metal. Yeah. And then and we and we only play. That's what I'm um, and we only we only play through the fire and flames by no, a small we, known we, uh, band called. We Rifles. only cover perhaps um, you've heard of music it? from the uh, Renaissance and and opera, but but we do we do, we do a, covers of heavy, yes. heavy metal madrigals. <laughs> That's the name of our first album. 
Man, can you ima- can you imagine somebody like? No, it's it's not screaming. Corrido, screaming. We li- we get a legitimate opera, and we just score oh everything. Lord. My bunny lashes my lift. Um, Ethan, you might be onto something, but I think we need. Well, yeah, not not my bunny lashes mouth, but. <laughs> That that era, maybe, maybe, maybe Baroque romantic even, right? I think you're onto something. Kind of yeah. like an S&M, but the other way around. Hmm. M&S. M&S. M&M. Let's just do M&M. I like that. Not the, not the artist, the food. <laughs> well, I think with that, we'll end this segment... Uh, we'll take a break and when we come back we're going to give our final thoughts I think this is going to be uh, very interesting considering uh, our first thoughts so stay tuned we'll be right back hey what's up everybody it's Ethan welcome back to the good music podcast we just got done listening to Kisses Alive album we listened to Deuce Strutter She 100,000 Years Rock and Roll All Night and Black Diamond, and now it's time for our final thoughts. At the beginning, we said our first thoughts, which are just how we heard of the band, what our 1 to 10 opinion was, and now it's time to see how our opinions have changed throughout the episode. So, Grant, final thoughts, go. Okay, wow. Um, so, obviously, I started the episode saying that I wasn't really you know, interested in learning more about Kiss. I wouldn't say that that's a complete 180, right? I wouldn't say that this episode has completely reinvigorated my interest in Kiss, right? It's going to be very hard to do that to a band that I've been familiar with for quite a long time. So, uh, but I know kind of where the context is for Kiss. I know where I want to go if I want to learn more. And I feel like, you know, I would be open to listening to more Kiss in the future. Um, I've been introduced to some songs that I've never heard before, and I liked all of them. I think that... I don't think there's much to say. I said most of the stuff that I really want to say in the episode. Kiss is just a great rock and roll group. This episode has proved that. This episode has shown me that I was um, correct in thinking that all of the boring 80s lick it up heavens on heavens on fire you know um songs are not all that kiss is that there's really something else that there's some more energy there that i would really enjoy um this episode's proved that that level of kiss exists and i just it's just a one spot of flight the spot of fly wow one Spotify click away should I ever want it. Um, so I would have to say that I moved from a six to a seven, right? Um, and which is like not the biggest move in the world, but it's still a, it's still a positive change. And as long as you don't move backwards, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, so. So I moved from a 627, and I'm kind of interested in going and seeing them just for the experience. You know, obviously, unless I have to 
pay out the wazoo for tickets. Tickets are like 80 bucks right now. That's not too bad. So, yeah. So there, there is that. I think that should tell the listeners something that at the very least I now know that I can go to a concert not just out of respect but knowing that I'm going to have a good time. So, yeah. 16-7. Ethan, this is this is the one that's going to be... This is the moment. You started very low. Starting at three. This is, this is, ever since we devised the ranking list, this is the lowest you've ever started. Is, is this the lowest that anyone has started? I think so. I, I will say I, I gained a respect for them. I didn't know that they kind of pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps, you know? All the marketing that they did, all of the, like, like the hardest working rock band probably of all time, you know, that helps. That gives me a lot of needed context for them and helps, helps me understand where they're coming from as a group. Um, I, I would say I, I probably, I moved up the same as Grant. I would say I went from a three to a four, maybe a five. And if if we did, I think if we did more of a complete, like if we ever come back and do a volume two and we talk about the golden age and we talk more context and we, because still like hearing about how they were writing songs and like that kind of context, because I think Kiss is just so big that even in like a first thoughts and like kind of talking about the history of the band, like we really only talked about, you know, the albums up to Alive, you know, and yeah, we, had, still we didn't, didn't even, even have enough time to cover like like cover their entire span of influence, you know, because they just were so influential. Yeah. So I think with more time and more context, I could probably move up to a five being completely neutral, but. I also this also might just be one of the things where it's like I respect them as people now and as a group and I don't think that I will look at them with the same kind of show grabbing disdain as I did before now knowing that they were show grabbing but it's because they were the only ones that were going to do it for themselves you know they were they were doing everything that they could to to make it work you know so that helps but I still would say, um, I, I guess I just don't <laughs> like just the. I guess I just don't like uh, vibe with the the music. I would probably just say, you know, it's not your area. It's not my area. I I still respect it. I will say that my favorite song is "She." Out of out of Great. all of them, favorite one was "Do It." Grant hadn't said what his favorite oh, was. Yeah, Grant. Oh, oh my goodness. I have to I have to say it's probably a black diamond because it was the one that threw me for the biggest loop and it had the weirdest changes. And I just I thought it had a little bit more color than the other ones, so I have to say black diamond. Okay. All right. Um so for me. I have gained a lot of respect for Kiss. Um, it, it helped that I discovered a lot of great music that I hadn't really heard of theirs before. 
um, which I now have several albums that I would be like, you know what? I could see myself throwing this on and just listening to it and enjoying it. Um, I felt like I really understood a lot more of the individual members as musicians. I felt like I got to know their styles more to really pay attention to what they're doing and to really appreciate the way that all of those styles come together to make the kiss sound. And um, yeah, just really seeing just everything that they did to become one of the biggest bands of all time it's it's truly remarkable the 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 brilliance that they had in putting themselves out there and and the fact that they just i think the most important thing is that no matter what they did with their image they had the songs to back them up because all of that image would not have meant anything if the songs were crap <laughs> yeah like they they have songs that have stood the test of time. The fact that rock and roll all night is still known by most of the civilized world today is just and the fact that that's not their only great song that they're not just one hit wonders. It's I think that that really shows that at the end of the day these guys were great songwriters and they they knew how to make it in this industry. Yeah. I would say that I have moved from a seven to an eight. Eight meaning what? Eight meaning that I'm going to go see them whenever they come into concert. Yeah. And, um, and I'm going to, I'm probably going to know most of the songs that they play and I'm going to enjoy them and sing along to them. I if I see records of theirs available for sale, I'm going to grab them and enjoy them and listen to them. I'm probably going to find myself choosing to listen to Kiss outside of just for the podcast. And yeah, I'm I I find myself being a more active participating fan. So you really my, that. Yes. Um, I my favorite song is Strutter. To me, that one just that one just hits all the right notes. Do we have a Harry's pick? Yes, we do. Harry loved Kiss. He thought that they were the coolest thing he's ever seen. <laughs> like, I didn't think that he was going to get into someone more than he did with Daft Punk. But as soon as he saw what Kiss looked like, he was mesmerized. <laughs> Same. That's awesome. If you ask, he can tell you all their names. Oh boy. He not only loved the songs that I selected for the set, but I also showed him a bunch of songs that weren't, and he wanted all those on his playlist. <laughs> um. So. His his favorite song off the set was Deuce. Um, but his favorite song off of it was uh, Shout It Out Loud. Oh. He, he loves that. And he also loves I Love It Loud. All right. So, yeah. Harry, Harry really uh, liked. And I, he also, we... 
we watched a Kiss concert on TV together, and he thought that, that was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> That's so awesome. I am, Father-son bonding. I am seriously contemplating taking him to the concert if we go. Yeah. Because I think that, that I think that might change his life. <laughs> well, it's the last time that you have the chance. It's true. It's true. And I haven't ever really taken him to a concert like that before. I think that I think it'd be really cool for him to look back and say, My first concert dad taking me to go see Kiss. Yeah. I mean that's that's about as cool of a, a first concert story as you can get. Well, that's our episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. This was a really fun one to do. And uh, finally, we have um, made the masses happy and they'll stop giving us bad reviews because we don't have a kiss episode. <laughs> Unless now they start saying, do a kiss volume two. <laughs> if you did a kiss volume two, it would have the most listens. If, <laughs> it would have to be a year from now, though. That's kind We're of the gonna- rule. We're going to find out if this uh, comment really has... Uh, he could be right. I expect 18,000 listens by next week. Okay. We're going to find out. Otherwise, um, what's his name? Matthew Marley Motley CT 75 something. Yeah, that's totally it. First try. I don't... I'm so sorry if I completely botched that, but, you know... Hey, if if he's right, maybe we'll be in contact with you. Maybe you can choose some of our upcoming episodes. Maybe. Um, <laughs> if you would like to submit your request for an artist, then make sure to either leave us a review and include in the review who you would like for us to cover or send us a message on Instagram or Facebook and um, – we do take your recommendations seriously. We're doing one every month. Um, so make sure that you guys let us know who your favorite artists are and who you want us to talk about. Um, in the link to the description of the episode, we've got the link to the Spotify playlist. That's also where you will find the link to our Patreon page. We're going to be uh, talking about the six worst Kiss songs, which... Uh man, we're gonna have fun with that one. So sure. make sure that you guys become a patron. You'll get access to that as well as you'll be able to hear episodes early, which is really cool. And make sure that you tune in next week. We are going to be continuing our history music sub series, mm-hmm. and we're gonna be talking about the very first opera. And that one's gonna be really really. So even if you don't like opera, you for that one because it's going to be some fun discussion. And we have new episodes every week, Monday mornings, 9 a.m. Central. So make sure you check it out. Hit the subscribe button. And that's it. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. I'm Ethan. Keep on listening to good music. Good music.